all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful southern morning here in Mississippi. We're going to be talking about the health care issues that affect you most. That's right. We want you to call in with any questions or comments that you might have about your health or perhaps the health of someone in your family or a friend. You can share your comments and questions with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and I am here with you today answering your questions that you might have about your health or the health of someone else that is near and dear to you. That's right. uh, You determine the topic on Southern Remedy on Wednesdays. Uh, We've had that tradition for a long time. Occasionally we'll do some uh, special programs where we uh, sort of deviate from that. But this morning, it's all about you. And we've had a couple of weeks since we've been able to take uh, your calls. Uh, so we should have a lot of people out there. So those things you've been thinking about, particularly for the last two weeks, and you want answered, here's your chance to get those answered today. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call right now and you want to email us, then you can always reach us at MPB online, uh, excuse me, remedy at MPB online. Dot org. Busy week this week. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Uh, biggest thing probably in the medical news is measles. So, you know, measles is a huge problem right now. We're just seeing a lot more of it. There are 22 states that have reported measles cases. So the total number now since January is 681 documented measles cases. And this is the highest number that we've seen since 2000. And uh, that two, you know, the year 2000 wasn't that long ago. But in that year, in the United States, we said, you know, there are no more measles cases in the U.S. So we sort of made a declaration that uh, that wasn't uh, an issue. Unfortunately, because measles is so prevalent in the rest of the world and so easily transmitted, and we have a lot of travel going on all over the place, Uh, That, combined with decreased vaccination rates, has led to 
uh, sort of a resurgence of measles in the U.S. So this is a nothing to be uh, toyed with. A lot of people would say, well, you know, measles isn't that bad, is it? People used to have it all the time. That's true. A lot of people had it all the time. Uh, it did cause a lot of deaths. Um, you know, when you talk about the numbers, one in a thousand people had a serious complication from measles, particularly those at most risk, which are children, young children. Um, so it's not something to be taken lightly. A lot of lung complications, a lot of neurologic complications. Um, it can sort of masquerade as a lot of other viral illnesses that are out there. Um, so usually you'll get a runny nose, a high fever, sort of cold and cough symptoms, and then a rash that's very particular to measles, although the rash on the skin uh, is pretty much looks like other things. There are a couple of things called coplic spots. That's with the K if you want to look it up, but that's a little white spot in the mouth. So along with those other symptoms, that's one of the warning symptoms for measles. And measles is transmitted through aerosolized particles. So in other words, if if a patient has measles and they cough or they sneeze or even just breathing particles uh, and they uh, enter a room that other people are susceptible to that, then they can get it. It's fairly easily transmitted. So that's the, the scare. And actually, this, this past week, the uh, health department, Mississippi State Health Department, did put out a notice that there was a, uh, a, a transmission or at least a, an exposure to measles in the Hattiesburg area of uh, someone who has a documented case of measles. Uh, one of the, the reasons why we have State Departments of Health and the CDC, they track these things to try to track them back to try to contain that. So they've gone back and looked at individuals that were exposed to this one case. No documented cases in Mississippi yet, but there are 22 other states and some of our surrounding states, uh, like Tennessee, is one that's had uh, documented cases. Uh, Dr. Jimmy, Kevin here jumping in with a question about measles. So sure. uh, I think like most of us, I got the immunizations when I was a kid. I've not had measles as an adult. Uh, how concerned do adults need to be about the measles outbreak? And, and what would your advice be to someone like me who was inoculated years ago to try to help me stay safe? Yeah, great question. So uh, what we know about vaccinations, uh, you know, how long it, it protects you, which is really the, the question that you're asking. Uh, most adults who got it, a vaccination in the past, they should be protected. Or if you had measles as a child, uh, you're, you're probably protected. Now, the, the couple of exceptions to that, our immune system changes from time to time. So just because you've got a vaccination doesn't mean that you're always will have enough uh, antibodies and have enough cellular defenses in your body to, to ward that off. Uh, so, in, you know, things that might make your immune system uh, decrease, if you have an autoimmune disease, if you're being treated for an autoimmune disease or cancer, certain medications can, can do that. Or if you have another serious illness, um, so, you know, an ICU patient certainly would be more at risk. Anything that's going to sort of knock your immune system down. Um, so I, the biggest advice I would say is if you, if you know if you're going to be in a situation like that, you don't necessarily need to get retested, uh, but just be aware of that with other people around. And if you're going to go into a state that has high, uh, one of these 22 states that in particular they can narrow it down to, to counties and it matches right up with, uh, you know, um, uh, areas that have lower vaccination rates. That would be an area that you might want to, you know, avoid, at least right now. Um, so that, yeah, if, you're, if you were vaccinated or you had measles in the past, you should have 
uh, a natural or um, acquired immunity to it that should protect you? That's a great question. Uh, it comes up all the time, you know, particularly, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a scare out there about uh, patients. We've changed a lot of how, you know, in our pediatric clinic, um, how outpatient clinic and in the ER setting, uh, anytime you have a situation like this where you have a large number of cases that are popping up, you got to be aware of that. It may change the way that we triage patients. In other words, how do they come into the clinic? If they have certain symptoms and they call in with that, we may be looking at uh, seeing them in an ER situation or in an isolation area that can isolate them from other people. Um, the vaccination for measles, it begins at 12 months of age. So the, the ones that are at the most risk are under 12 months of age. So you don't want somebody with measles just be bopping into a pediatric uh, waiting area because uh, they could certainly easily spread it to the rest of them. This is Southern Remedy. Uh, we're talking about all kinds of stuff today. It doesn't have to be about measles. It can be about all kinds of things, in particular the things that are on your mind. Maybe there's a new medication that you were started on and you don't quite understand how it works, or maybe you got some side effects with that. We'd be glad to talk about that on the air this morning and answer your questions. Or if you've got some symptoms and uh, or a diagnosis you just don't quite understand or, or need some more information, we'd be glad to do that too. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. A lot of people have chronic illnesses. I, I had a patient who was like, you know, I didn't know that I had a chronic illness, and I saw it on uh, the Internet. And uh, one of the things, one of the problems that I've had showed up on there. I didn't really think of it that way. Uh, this particular patient had two chronic illnesses, so they had hypertension and diabetes. But what does that mean when you have a chronic illness? Uh, a lot of people are, have misunderstandings about that, and they think it has to be sort of a terminal disease or something that's going to affect the way that they live. So a chronic illness is anything that you're going to have for the foreseeable future or the rest of your life. So it's something that in the medical profession we can treat. Sometimes we can cure, uh, but most of the time we treat it. But if you remove that treatment or change something different about the treatment, uh, then that illness will you know, have a lot of negative effects uh, uh, on your health. So, for instance, hypertension. We know hypertension is one of the leading causes of heart, heart attack and stroke uh, in the U.S. And a lot of states like Mississippi and other states in the South certainly deal with this, too. Um, high blood pressure is is treatable. We know that about only about 50% or so of patients know that they have hypertension. About one in three adults in the U.S. have hypertension. And about another third have, uh, have uh, elevated blood pressure. So they have sort of in that gray range between normal, which would be uh, 120 over 80 or less, uh, and 130 over 80. Uh, so they're in that in-between area where there is a little bit more uh, risk that's involved long-term about heart attack and stroke. Certainly there are ways to treat this. We always on Southern Remedy, we talk about ways that you can add to medications or in some instances under the supervision of your physician or your primary care provider, you can uh, treat things with what you do, uh, in effect, uh, what you eat and, um, and exercise. So that's what a chronic illness is, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to change everything you do. You may have to modify some things, particularly what you eat and exercise. But the goal is to have, as a physician, when I see patients, the goal is that 
that person that has that uh, chronic illness could live as normal a lifestyle uh, as possible. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go to a couple of callers that are waiting patiently. Veronica in Memphis. Actually, two people in Memphis, Veronica and Kay. We've got a, uh, a Memphis contingent there uh, waiting. But we got plenty of opportunity for you to call. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this break. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. We're answering your calls and questions about anything that might be affecting you. So you call in right now. That's right. we got plenty of time to uh, take your calls or questions that you might have. Uh, maybe a comment if you hear something that uh, about uh, a caller. So um, you can call us at today at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Veronica from Memphis. Good morning, Veronica. Thank you for calling. Good morning. What's your question this morning? What do you recommend for a rash that, from the Internet, seems to be some kind of body fungus but doesn't clear up with over-the-counter things? Ah, okay. Do you mind telling us where the location of this fungus might be, theoretically? Yes. It's the top of the thigh where, you know, in Memphis it's warming up, gets moist, and doesn't get a lot of circulation. Yeah. Um, and I'll hang up if you're good. And oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. This is Thanks something. So oh, sure. Thank you for calling. Yeah, what Veronica brings up is uh, is a tinea infection. That's the fancy name for it. But that's basically uh, things like athlete's foot or ringworm. Uh, and it can be in different places on the body. Now, because the in the South we have such high humidity rates, these tend to sort of congregate in those areas and there's a couple of different species out there but they do similar things and they have sort of a characteristic rash uh, that's sort of a a flat to raised rash that tends to be sort of red and it clears in the interior part that's the classic one although it can masquerade as some different things so if it is on the body okay that's called tinea corporis Uh, in other words it's it can be on the legs the arms the trunk uh, it can even be on your face, but it's not in the scalp, okay, or on the fingernails or toenails. Then that can be treated most of the time topically. And there, as Veronica mentioned, there are some over-the-counter uh, medications that you can get 
Um, at A&D, the company makes a lot of different variations of these, and they're pretty good. And there's some other over-the-counter uh, medications. Probably the best one out there is one that contains the active ingredient terbinafine. That's with a T, T-E-R-B-I-N. Uh, oops, I lost A F I N E. Sorry, uh, I, I lose track of, of of spelling about midway through words. Terbinafine or Lamisil is the the trade name of it. So uh, this is one that interferes with the fungus. It's not one that's going to, you know, if you're treating topically, it's not going to be absorbed really into your skin. But you just put that thing on there, you know, put the, the cream on there or ointment about once a day. And the thing about fungal infections is they take a long time to clear up, and it can take four to six weeks. That's one thing that most people raise their eyebrows at when the, when you mention it, that it's going to take that long because they think, oh, a couple of days this is going to be gone. Uh, and that may help help you a lot of people do over-the-counter i mean a home remedy type things like iodine and alcohol that may dry it out a little bit more but really you need to kill the fungus and those things the fungal fungi are they're really uh tough little boogers i mean they can uh they can hang out in difficult situations for a long period of time and you might knock them down but they're going to come back um, if it's in the hair, in the scalp, or in the fingernails or toenails, you have to treat it a little bit differently. So topical agents typically don't work. Uh, so things like uh, Lamisil don't work as well. And you have to take something by mouth. There is a terbinafine. Uh, there's a Lamisil that's oral. Uh, it's it's generic now, but uh, and you have to get a prescription for it. And there's a couple of others out there. And again, it's going to take a little bit longer uh, to treat those four to six weeks usually is what we do. There are certain situations or medical conditions where you'd want to be careful with that if it's an oral one. But if, if it's a place like Veronica mentioned on your body, uh, I would get the terbinafine and put that on there once a day and try to keep it as dry as possible. You know, if you can leave that area open during the day, we're in shorts weather now. If that's uh, something that you can do and leave it uncovered, that's just gives it a little bit of a chance to dry out a little bit more. But they like uh, warm, moist environments, and that's uh, something that's incredibly common. Uh, in the scalp, you can actually lose your hair from this. You can see these little kids running around. They'll have these little, uh, almost looks like a cookie cutter. Uh, that the the hair's missing. Sometimes that's from a fungal infection. That typically will grow back unless there's scarring with that. You don't want to let it go to the point where you have a secondary infection or scarring, and it's a little bit harder to get that hair to grow back. But uh, fairly easy to uh, to treat. If you run into problems doing it that way, I would go see a dermatologist because what they can do, they can take a little bit of a scraping of that, and then they can grow that fungus and know exactly which fungus it is, what antibody or which antifungal is going to be uh, is going to work because if you've treated it a couple of times and it hadn't worked, it may be something else and you need to go see a dermatologist. But real common here in the South. So thank you, Veronica, for sharing that with us today. Um, let's go to Kay in Memphis. Good morning, Kay. Good morning. How are you? I, I enjoyed your program last week, even though it was drive time. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for joining <laughs> us during drive time. Well, I, I still listen. I've been a supporting member for four years now, but I still, 90% of the daytime, my radio is on, is on you all. Well, thank you, Kay. That's, uh, that kind of partnership is what we enjoy. Yeah, and I don't, I don't understand why pe- more people don't join. You can do it so economically, and you can have yeah. it taken out of your uh, uh, bank account or sure. credit card or whatever. I don't know. Uh, they don't realize the worth of you. 
Well, okay. we're happy that you're doing it, Kay. So what's your what's your question? Okay. Um, I got in on the tail end of something you were saying a while ago which about diet and exercise, which fit in exactly with me. I really no longer have high blood pressure. And uh, what I'm, because for years I had taken amlodipine, uh-huh. and my last prescription of 90 lasted, <clears throat> I'm sorry, it lasted me for six months. So this time, and it was, uh, it was five milligrams. So this time, when I had it refilled, he changed it to two point five. But I, my blood pressure sometimes goes down low enough that I get a bit concerned. But right now, it's staying in the upper uh, one, you know, like one eighty and going up to one twenty-five or thirty. Almost never does it go any higher than that. And I just want to know. I think it's because I, I really eat healthy. I know they got rid of the old uh, pyramid on red wrappers and all of that, but I still go by that. And <laughs> I make a, sure I get all my fruits and veggies and proteins and whole grain every day. Yeah. And I have three things that I do with my exercising. And I just wonder, do you think that that's... <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think I think you're treating it. I think, and it's it's debatable whether it goes away, but you are treating it with your diet. I mean, with what you're yeah, eating. Yeah, exercise. Uh, yeah, and yeah. exercise definitely. Uh, what we know about the particularly the foods that you described, or the you know things similar to the the dash diet, the dietary approaches to stop hypertension or a Mediterranean diet. Is if, you, if you do that in adults, when they did the trials looking at it, it could decrease blood pressure by up to about 14 points. So that's a lot. And you're on a little smidgen of that amlodipine. I, you know, it wouldn't even surprise me, Kay, if you didn't even have to take that. I don't take it. Yeah, I don't take it. Yeah. Unless I have both the, the upper arm and the wrist uh, cuffs. Yep. And if I have a question about whichever one I use, I check it out on the other. And unless I'm over 130, I don't take anything because that's unusual. Sure. And usually I will wait on, on uh, an hour and take it again. And it's down, but most of the time it's in the upper teens or 20s. Yeah, that's perfect. But talk, talking about diet, this is my country eating. I grew up on a farm. That's right. We, we grew everything, yeah. nuts and, and fruits and vegetables and slaughtered our own um, meat and had chickens and that's why we ate. Yeah, it's a it's a healthy way to live for sure. In the exercise portion of it too, we're we're too lazy, Kay, and we eat a bunch of junk food. Isn't that right? Yeah, I don't eat it. I have not had a candy bar or a donut or anything of that sort in probably a year. So I just I just don't <laughs> Good eat for it. You. I, I don't eat it. Well, I, I get out a piece of fruit or whatever. I, I wish a lot more people were doing what you're doing. I'm glad that you uh, you shared that with us because that's an excellent way to. And you know, you may not have a success story like Kay is describing for everybody else out there with high blood pressure. But I bet if you if you have a lot of things you can change, you can really make an impact. So, Kay, thank you for for sharing that with us. Okay, thanks a lot. All right. I'll call you another time. I have another question, All but right. I'll, leave, I'll leave air time for other people. Oh, thank you, Cable. We're here for you. All right. Okay. Oh, I use you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Take Bye-bye. care. Always nice to talk to Kay. She's got some uh, great advice there for people who have uh, hypertension. Also good for diabetes, too. You know, that same kind of diet is very helpful for treating uh, high blood pressure and other cardiovascular diseases and can also uh, lower your risk of obesity. So very helpful. We're going to go to Linda, who's been patiently waiting, who's calling from Port Gibson. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Thanks for calling. 
Yes, thank you. I hope you can hear me clearly. Sure, yeah. Yes, I'm kind of concerned about the measles uh, outbreak. Uh, I think I had uh, this vaccination during the 60s. I'm, I'm 60 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anywhere that I can go to check to make sure that I had you can you can you can check antibody levels to measles. So there's uh, or titers is, is another words that, that that they may use for that. A measles titer. Um, yeah. You, the problem is you may your insurance is probably you know not going to pay for that. Um, oh. Most insurances aren't going to do that unless there's a uh, you know a, a reason to do it right then and there. Um, so oh, that, I was thinking about maybe. Uh, like going to the um, health department like or somewhere health like that. Yeah, they, that they they wouldn't do that routinely in somebody and like in you know if somebody said hey I just want to know if I'm protected uh, unless there was a good reason so and it's not it's probably I don't know the exact cost of that test but it's probably going to be upwards of you know several hundred dollars. Ooh. Yeah, I I, th- I think if you were Linda, if you were vaccinated against that in the past, and you not have you don't have a whole lot of other medical problems, um, I I think you probably would be fine. Uh, and again, if you hear of you know of a measles, if uh, I hope it doesn't get to this point, particularly in Mississippi, but I you know if you hear of of a community or a town that's having a lot of outbreak, just stay away from it. Yes, I will. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for. Uh being on uh, W on, on the radio. I oh, really you're welcome. Enjoy you. You're welcome. And th- we we thank you for calling this. What makes this program great is people calling in with questions just like you. All right. Thank you and bye. Yes, ma'am. Have a good day. This is Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Any kind of question you might have about anything doesn't have to be what other callers called in about. It can be something totally different. So uh, just give us a call this morning. Or if you'd like to send an email, we try to answer those on the fly when you send them. But we also, from time to time, are addressing them as a, a separate uh, um, uh, program date. So you can uh, send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to R- Renee from Utica, Mississippi. Good morning, Renee. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, I would like to know if you have high blood pressure, does pork raise your high blood pressure? I mean, raise it up higher. And I get, take the answer off there. Sure. Yeah, and and uh, you know, in the South, we love our pork, don't we? We put pork in all kinds of stuff. I remember, you know, um, Kay was talking about good uh, Southern cooking, and certainly fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, and all kinds of things like that. That is important. Sometimes, though, we make it taste even better in the South, and we put that uh, ham hock in there and other types of pork. Uh, bacon, we eat a lot of. Am I making a lot of people hungry out there? Uh, so that is a problem. So as was just mentioned, you know, high blood pressure is very sensitive to certain things in most people. And from the population standpoint, salt is a big, uh, a big um, uh, uh, thing that can make your blood pressure high. If you look at different populations of people, the, the populations that have very little salt uh, intake, like uh, Inner Mongolia, Central China, there's different places in the world that they just don't eat a whole lot of salt. They don't have a whole lot of high blood pressure. And if you if you sort of map this out for the communities or the states or even countries that have higher salt intakes, 
uh, we they tend to have higher rates of high blood pressure. So as a whole, that's true. And pork in particular has a lot of salt in it. Uh, most of the time, the way it's it's cured and the way that it's uh, processed, uh, sausage, bacon, all those things, sandwich meats, regardless if it's pork or not, all those things can contribute to raising high blood pressure. Now, will a slice of bacon once every week or once uh, once a month, was that going to cause your blood pressure to go up? Probably not. But if you're eating a lot of it or you're putting it in other things like the ham or uh, or um, you know the ham in, in vegetables, the way you cook them, it certainly makes it taste a lot better, but it's uh, it's probably contributing to your blood pressure. So that's one we see a good bit um, with patients who, who eat that. One thing you might want to try is other types of seasonings. You know, it, you don't have to go all bland if you have high blood pressure. There are some other things you can do. Uh, the salt that you put in foods or the salt that's already there with the processed foods that we just mentioned, you know, they um, th- those are all things that, um, that you can substitute other things. There's some great uh, cooking classes that are going on. It's actually one of the things that uh, we're doing in medical schools now. The university uh, here in Jackson is doing that with uh, medical students. So they have cooking classes uh, where they're they're teaching that. Uh, I know a lot of community centers are doing this too and outreach programs to different people in the state because we have this long tradition of good cooks. I'm married to one uh, in uh, in Mississippi, and they uh, they know how to cook well. But uh, you can cook well, uh, and by well, I mean uh, tasty, and you can also cook healthy. So those two things aren't, uh, they aren't, uh, you don't have to do one or the other. You can do both of them. So that's what I would do. I would try, you know, if you have sort of a, if you notice that your blood pressure is still up, maybe try to cut back on the pork or cut it out completely and see what that does for your blood pressure for a couple of weeks. And that might be a culprit. If it doesn't change much, you might can sort of modify it and, uh, but I'm not one to say never eat pork. Uh, you know, just uh, it, if it's going to be a problem and you just can't get away from it, maybe that needs to be what you need to do. But every once in a while, it should be okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got plenty of time for your call. So call in right now. That's right. Get ready. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. 
Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you today. That's right. We want you to call in if you have any kind of questions about your health or the health of someone in your family or friends. Doesn't have to be any age either. We're going to take all ages because um, I'm uh, my background is in uh, internal medicine and pediatrics, so we can uh, take those on kids today too. Um, but uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to James right now from, I think that's McRaney, right? Yes. All right. Tell me, where, where's McRaney, James? Okay. Uh, you head down 49 toward uh-huh. Gulfport. Yep. And you'll see it. Hey, you run run right past it, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for calling in. What's your question this morning? Okay. Um I'm about 70 years old, okay? Mm-hmm. High cholesterol, but it's, well, inherited. Yep. Okay? Now, I love seafood, okay? Shellfish. And I love eggs. Uh-huh. So, uh, what do you suggest there? Are are you being treated uh, with a medication for that or yes. okay yes, I okay am. so um, so you brought up a, good, a couple of good points so cholesterol most of the time is inherited um, the, a, a great component of it particularly if you're talking about the major things that are going to impact your risk of heart attack or stroke which would be the LDL. Uh, that's the bad component the major bad right. component. Right. I, I usually think of it like lousy. Uh, for you know, L for lousy, and then there's yeah. an HDL component, and that's the healthy one. That's the one, and H for healthy. You can remember it that way. So the higher the HDL, the better. the the uh, The higher the LDL, the worse uh, uh, your chances are, you know, of of getting uh, getting heart attack and stroke. So most of that is determined genetically. Like you can map it out, and it's very consistent. There are some things, other things in cholesterol, like triglycerides and other particles of cholesterol that help to contribute to that main number, that total cholesterol number, uh, that are related to what you eat, particularly if it's a lot of fatty foods. But those other components are fairly well, they're fairly consistent. You can drive them up with what you eat. Now, shellfish, um, it's it does have, you know, a, a fair amount of cholesterol in it. It's, you know, both both shellfish and eggs, it's gone back and forth on the data on that. You know, if you look back in the 70s and 80s, particularly in the 80s, we're like, do away with eggs. You know, no more eggs, particularly egg yolks. They're bad for you. they got a lot of cholesterol. Yes, I, rem- I remember that. And if we've swung back the other way. When we really look at it, it's really about moderation in what else you're eating. And um, if your cholesterol, right, and the reason I ask if you were treated through other means um, what I tell patients is, look, I, I am not going to, if you've eaten eggs your whole life, uh, as long as you're not eating, you know, you're not Rocky Balboa and you're not, uh, you're not, uh, putting down 10 eggs, you know, in the morning before your run to prepare for your fight. Uh, that's something we can easily remedy. But if you're eating one or two eggs a day, uh, that's probably not a big deal, and it's probably not contributing to your total cholesterol level. And if you're being treated for it, the real thing that matters is we know there are certain cholesterol medications that reduce, reduce your, hit, your, your risk of stroke and heart attack. That's the real thing that we're wanting to prevent. Somebody who's right around 70, like yourself, that's the real thing that you want. I mean, most people don't care a thing about cholesterol. There are numbers that, that we use to calculate that risk. 
But if your physician is pretty comfortable with what you're on and your risk is pretty low, uh, you know, there are certainly other huge risk factors out there like smoking that, uh, that you could, you know, modify that probably don't have as much of an impact as, say, shellfish and, and eggs. So that's my personal take on it. Now, if you, if you are eating a lot of it, you may just want to cut back. But um, it's probably not contributing a whole lot to that total risk. Okay, it's like, well, twice a month, maybe. Oh, you're fine, James. I would say eat 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 a little bit more if you want. <laughs> your, your doctor <laughs> might be arguing with me at that point, but I would say twice a month is fine. Yeah, you got to live a little, right? Yeah. Particularly, yeah. particularly if you're that close to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, uh, I'd probably be eating shellfish once a week. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you. All right, right, James, thanks for calling. Cholesterol is one that's, you know, it's it's gone, we've gone from from individual numbers, just the strict numbers of treating cholesterol to help reduce that risk of heart attack and stroke, to looking at other risk factors, because we know it's not just cholesterol, it's other things too, like your blood pressure, age, the older you get, the more likely you are to have a heart attack or stroke. Um, But it's a cumulative effect that we treat and try to reduce that. So, uh, you know, certainly moderation is one that's, that's, uh, that is a good thing to go by. All right, we're going to go, we're going to stay on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, get right on the coast with Robert uh, in uh, Gulfport. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, how you doing? Good, thanks for calling. Yeah, uh, I got an uncle that he had surgery, I think it's called in- intracranial hypertension. Yeah, okay. Fluid on the brain. Yeah. And it caused him to his vision to go bad. It, it made his optic nerve sw- swollen. Yep. But it's, it went down, but they say it was looking kind of pale. So uh, there's nothing they can, like, it can improve that to make his vision back better. Right. So so what you're describing is a little bit different than, uh, so the brain sits in a fluid, and usually it has a pretty low pressure around it. And brain tissue itself, it's really, it's sort of spongy. It doesn't, you know, it, it's not something that if you increase the pressure, you're going to cut off the blood supply to different parts of your brain and press on nerves and cause nerve damage. Oh. Yeah, so they put a shunt in, they ramp the shunt down to the stomach, the right. brain fluid. Uh-huh. Yeah, so when they say it's not exactly like it's sort of a bad name intracranial hypertension just because it doesn't have to do with the blood pressure as much as the total pressure inside the skull Uh so um what you just described is one of the ways that they treat it it's sort of a last ditch effort to try to reduce that pressure it's like a pop-off valve so -hmm. because of the extra pressure the the spinal fluid that bathes the brain it goes through this tube that empties out into the abdomen so it's underneath the skin uh, uh-huh. it, you know, it comes out of the head underneath the skin and it goes into the abdomen as sort of a pop-off valve to let off that pressure. I, uh-huh. I would say if he's still having problems with his vision, there is a chance that if you have it long enough and the pressure's high enough that the damage to the nerves may not come back. Right, um, right. but keeping the pressure down is probably the best thing you can do to see if they're going to, you know, if they're going to regenerate. We, we yeah, used to, they, they said it was like a long process right. for it to turn itself around. Yeah. No, right. We used to think nerve damage, once you had it, in, particularly in your brain, that that was it. Uh-huh. You didn't get that back. We now know that it does come back with time. And 
uh, you know, is not is I'm not aware of of certain things you can do specifically for vision, but uh, besides just the waiting and trying to keep the pressure down, but for other things like a stroke where you have weakness in one, you know, arm or leg uh, or speech uh, difficulties, using that and going to therapy over time, even if it's months to years, you can get a lot of that back even if you're older. So it's, it's really interesting, some of the different things. And there's a lot of research in a lot of things you can take, uh, so there's some amino acids, there's some antioxidants that you can take. Uh, so a, a brain specialist might be somebody, a neurologist that really specializes in that, might be somebody else that they can see. They're pro- I, I'm guessing they're probably seeing uh, a neurosurgeon, a neurologist, yeah. or a, an a ophthalmologist. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, right. But that's and it can be caused by a lot of different things, too, that, that condition. So it doesn't really go along with high blood pressure in the way that most people have it. It's a little bit different than that, but, um, but it can cause some problems, like you just mentioned. Okay, yeah. Okay, uh, thank you very much. All right, Robert, thanks for calling. No problem. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go to Craig in Biloxi. We're keeping it on the coast this morning, and uh, we've got plenty of time for you to squeeze a couple of calls in if you uh, are sitting there with bated breath wanting to pick up that phone. Pick it up! one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we've got uh, plenty of time for you to get a call in here. We've got about uh, eight minutes or so left in the program. I'm going to go to Craig in just a minute, but if you would like to call in about anything that uh, has been on your mind, you can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And if we do run out of time and you, you think of something after that, you can always email us. We try to answer those uh, when we get them, but we also sort of batch those together once we get a few to because uh, we'd like to share those with our listening audience and do a program on that. Uh, the email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go back to the coast. Uh, makes me want to be on the coast. To Craig. Good morning, Craig. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I, I was uh, wondering about bacteria on your skin. Uh, I know we have good bacteria, and if you, like, kill that bacteria with bleach or something, if you would be more susceptible to other bacteria and fungus. It, 
Yeah, you can. You know, we have this, uh, the, the, the medical term is commensurate. The commensurate to it, just meaning it's beneficial, mutually beneficial uh, relationship with bacteria. The one I think most people think about are all the bacteria in your gut. And um, they help to break down all kinds of food particles. They, uh, they of course, eat some of those themselves. But they um, produce a lot of uh, the things that we need. One of the biggest ones is vitamin K. They're one of the largest producers of vitamin K uh, for our bodies. If you wipe them out, you have problems. There are bacteria in your airways, uh, in your lungs. Uh, there are bacteria on your skin, as you mentioned. And a lot of those are beneficial if you do away with them, like with antibiotics. That's one of the reasons why you can get fungal infections on the skin. They sort of keep those down. Um, now, if you, bleach is, well, that'll kill pretty much just about anything, depending on the concentration of it. So if you bleach, you know, if, you, if you're doing that repetitively, particularly if it breaks down the natural barrier of skin, yeah, you can get some of those infections. The biggest thing with the skin, though, it's a physical barrier. It's made up of thick uh, layers of, of cells that have died and are constantly being replaced and pushed up. And that is a barrier that bacteria and viruses can't get through uh, very easily. If you have a break in that skin, and particularly if you're doing that with you know, bleach, uh, medical profession, we have a lot of problems with that, you know, in the, particularly in the ICU environment where we try to keep clean. We try to wash our hands in between. Soap and water used to be the only way to do that. And you'd see, you could tell who the ICU nurses were. They were working hard. Despite uh, some of the things to the contrary that have been said lately, they are working hard. I can testify to that. Uh, but you look at their hands and they were just raw. Uh, so we have foams, we have gels that do the same thing now. So you, you don't want to be, you know, rubbing your hands or bleaching them to the point where you destroy that barrier. But as far as bacteria go, there are some, you know, staph and strep that live on the skin. They're hard to get rid of and they can cause problems, but there are some sort of good ones too. And right around the coastal areas, you have to watch out. And certainly there's warnings from time to time. Vibrio is the one everybody worries about. So if you have a cut or something like that, you want to uh, keep it covered. But basically you want to keep those areas of the skin clean, but not uh, raw. So uh, that would be my advice. Yeah. So you don't want to take a bleach bath. <laughs> uh, probably not. I wouldn't recommend yeah. doing that on a regular basis. Yeah, well, I actually had, I used to do that. I worked on a tropical fish farm, and in order yeah. to keep the fungus down, they said lay in the bleach fat. Yeah, yeah. But it'll, I bet your skin was uh, pretty uh, pretty dry, huh? I didn't do it much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they said they said that was for leeches and fungus, but I didn't do that much. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. Yeah. It's, from a preventive standpoint, it it I mean it might prevent that if you did it every day, but I, I would bet if you do it long enough, you're going to have some skin irritation. Yeah. I, I, probiotics for the skin. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Thanks, Craig. Okay. Yeah. You, you have a good day. We're going to go to, uh, we're going to try to get as many people in as we can. We're going to go to Brad in Hattiesburg. Morning, Brad. Hey, how are you, doctor? Good. Thanks for calling. Hey, I just wanted to take you down memory lane right quick and give you a big thank you. 23 years ago today, you brought my child into the world in Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Wow, that is awesome. That is really awesome. I just got some chills thinking about that. Yeah, so I was uh, I was on a rotation there in Kosciuszko. Uh, tell me, tell me your child's name. 
Zachary Joyner. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's a long time ago. I also feel dated because you told me that. <laughs> oh, come on now. Come on now. I believe you, you were just a resident at that point. You yeah, were, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was, okay. I was pretty young. Well, that is awesome. That is that is so uh, good to hear. Uh, I love that's one of the reasons why I love being a physician is you hear these stories. And most of the time, you know, seeing hundreds, thousands of people over the years, uh, some of them, I don't remember all the details, but uh, it's so nice to hear that. And uh, uh, the, the opportunities to interact with people, particularly at moments like that, that are so joyous. Uh, and being a part of that, that's that's a cool thing. So thank you, Brad. Well, that's he's awesome. turning out quite well. He plays uh, violin for the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, so go check him out sometime. I will definitely do that. I will definitely do that. And thanks so much for uh, for calling and telling, telling us that. All right, Doc. Have a great right, day. You too. Wow. Didn't expect that today. Let's go to Pat in Kiln, Mississippi. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Okay. Uh Twenty-five years ago, I had breast cancer, and uh-huh. they removed some lymph nodes, and I have lymphedema in my left arm. So I now have a torn rotator cuff in that arm, yep. and they're saying surgery, and I'm concerned about surgery and swelling in that uh, arm with the lymphedema. Yeah, you do have to be careful with that. My mom uh, has had, uh, you know, surgery and dealt with breast cancer in the same kind of way. And certainly you want to be very careful because the lymphatic drainage is important and it depends on those lymph nodes. When you take them out, you sort of disrupt that so you can be more susceptible to infections. And uh, so I would talk to your surgeon about the type of approach that they're going to do in the surgery. So Rotator cuff surgery is one that they've gotten really good at doing it with very small incisions and, um, and in minimal ways, so minimally, in, minimally invasive surgery. So it may be, it's probably not in the same vicinity as those lymph nodes. They may want to be a little bit more careful after the surgery with keeping that arm elevated or keeping it in a, uh, you know, a certain position a little bit differently or even having a um, a wrap around it so that they can have, you know, you can have, uh, uh, you, so you don't have any swelling. But uh, I would talk to your surgeon about that, and probably I would talk to uh, your oncologist about it too, because they're going to have some information. And it's always a good thing to have, you know, colleagues, uh, medical colleagues, surgical colleagues talking back and forth about that. But I think you're probably going to be all right if it's just a rot- torn rotator cuff because of the types of surgery that they do now. But I would just check with them to double, you know, to make sure. Okay. I did check with my oncologist and he had no information. Ah, okay. And uh, the surgeon said, oh, yeah, I've done those a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would, um, it's probably going to be okay as long as they're not going to open it up and do a lot of you know a lot of different stuff. But torn right. rotator cuff is pretty there's pretty small incisions that they'll have to make, uh, you know, and it's higher up, so it's probably not going to be in the same distribution as those lymph nodes that they took out. Oh, okay, good. Thank you for the information. Sure, thanks for calling. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go real quickly to Jim. Jim, you got about thirty seconds. What's on your mind? Well, I would just uh, had listened to you uh, talking about the uh, high blood pressure, and uh, recently I was diagnosed. My my blood pressure's been a little high, and um, my doctor here in Biloxi had put me on uh, a spare lactone with a HCT uh-huh. or something. Yep. Anyway, uh, 
but I called my transplant people up in Jackson at UMC, and they took me out of talking about that my uh, uh, potassium was low. I guess, yeah, or I, high or something. It, anyway, something was going on. Yeah, we're up against the clock, Jim. What I would say okay. about that, with what you just said, is yeah, there's certain medications. One of the good things about high blood pressure is there's tons of stuff that we can choose from. So uh, I just go back to the drawing board, make sure that it matches up. If you've had a transplant, like you said, that it matches up with what they say is okay to take. Uh, a hypertension specialist is another person you might want to consider, too. But uh, sorry to cut you off like that, but we're up against the clock. Hey, thanks for everybody who called today and uh, certainly contributed to the program. We love to have you on Southern Remedy. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. Oh,